Hey everyone, my name is Dustin Elliott and welcome back to another episode of the Better Questions Better Life podcast, formerly known as the Y2 podcast. Each week I try and answer a simple but important question, how can we ask better questions to live better lives? To do that, I bring you dedicated episodes where I break this question down into bite-sized, thought-provoking and tactical episodes really focused on helping you ask better questions, pulled from industry experts, science, philosophy, as well as my own observations and learnings. I also find and interview a range of industry-leading professionals who all depend on asking good questions in order to achieve their work. So from police detectives, journalists, scientists, medical professionals, qualitative researchers, data scientists, and many more to glean the lessons and techniques they use to successfully do their job and help us ask better questions. As always, I want to take a quick minute and thank the Better Questions, Better Life podcast sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online learning. The YZ platform is very flexible and you can use it to automate a whole range of tasks in your business from managing all of your employee training, training customers and partners in your products, tracking licenses and qualifications of your staff, creating and selling online courses, capturing more leads with free online courses and so much more. So if any of that sounds even remotely interesting, then I really suggest you jump over to their website at yz.com, that's w-y-z-e-d.com, to check out some videos and even get started with your own 14-day free trial. Remember, if you like these episodes and you want to hear more and you haven't done already, make sure you hit that subscribe button to the Better Questions, Better Life podcast, wherever you find your podcast. The button ain't going to hit itself, so make sure you do that if you like it. And as you hear on every other podcast out there, we love if you can leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. Of course, you can jump over to the website at betterquestionsbetterlife.co where you can find links, resources, soon to be a blog, putting together some really cool projects as well at the moment uh, to help you ask better questions outside of the podcast and all that other good stuff. So make sure you check it out and stay tuned. Of course, you can always join in on the conversation on our Facebook page, Instagram, and the other social media handles. And you're going to find us at Better Questions Better Life. Uh, you can also follow along on social media media and because uh, if that if that uh, name's a little too long then we're going to try and dominate the hashtag bqbl so hopefully we're going to blow that up with lots of really cool conversations and uh, again if you want to find us that would probably be the easiest way but with that being said though let's get right into it Whitney welcome to the better questions better life podcast thanks thank you I'm really excited for today to, to obviously chat with you. And uh, as I was just saying to you a second ago, I especially appreciate your time given that uh, as we were just talking about, it's a very, very busy time uh, in your life at the moment, given everything you're doing at a seller prize. And I'm sure, I'm sure you'll mention that in a moment, but I, I just want to, again, thank you very much for, for taking some time to, to be a part of the podcast. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Thanks again for the invitation. No, it's my pleasure. Special, uh, special thanks to Rohit as well, too, for, uh, for interviewing you and for putting you on my radar. I heard your interview with Rohit uh, a while back, and I know you work with Rohit as well, too, through Accelerate Prize. So um, big, uh, a big thank you to Rohit for that. But I suppose where I really want to start today with, with really all my guests is just to, uh, to give you an opportunity just to introduce a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you have a really interesting career as well. So love you can just sort of give us a bit of a quick intro as to who you are, how you got here, and and, uh, and what you do. Yeah, so uh, my name is Whitney Sales. Uh, just to start this off, my last name is actually Sales. Uh, <laughs> I 
Uh, my background is actually working in early stage sales, though it wasn't a direct path. Um, I actually thought I was going to be an attorney uh, for a very long time and then uh, decided after working um, in the legal field for about two years uh, during college, kind of pre-law, decided that it actually wasn't the path for me and took a recommendation from my first boss to actually look into sales. Uh, my first job out of college was working for a company called LoopNet, which is a B2B real estate platform. It's one of the largest in the ecosystem. I was pretty early on at that team, pre-IPO, and uh, joined them about three months into the job. I was given the opportunity uh, to launch a new product for them. Uh, that was the first of two products I actually launched uh, for LoopNet. And it really started me down this path of, um, of launching products, joining teams and launching products. Um, I found that uh, I really enjoy working with early stage companies and uh, building out the process and framework around getting a new product to market. I started initially as a salesperson for several teams, uh, then started building teams uh, for the companies and founders that I worked with. Um, have taken had four companies now on the 4,000 fastest growing companies list. Um, LoopNet, Meltwater, a company called Joby, which was my stand into uh, consumer electronics, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. um, and a company called Spring Ahead. And about uh, four and a half, uh, I guess it's six years ago now, uh, I started my own startup sales consultancy working directly with founders where I built out a system uh, for go-to-market for early stage companies called the sales method, uh, which is a repeatable, scalable process for uh, B2B sales, whether you're in software or even a service um, side business because a lot of services are now transitioning to software as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I met my business partner, Mike. I'm just a little bit rambly, but uh, that's where I met my business partner, Mike, uh, Michael Cardamon, uh, who was the founder of Accelerprise, which is a B2B SaaS accelerator uh, that I'm now a partner at in San Francisco. Um, he and I had a chance to work together for about three years um, as when I was a mentor for the fund. And when he had the first partnership available, he had me join the fund. I've now been working with him for two and a half years. We've worked with hundreds of startups in the SaaS ecosystem, um, you know, have some of the best funding rates in the ecosystem for accelerators. We run really small cohorts specifically focused on go-to-market uh, for SaaS founders um, and specifically focus on uh, te product technical founders looking to learn go-to-market. Where I, where I want to uh, sort of transition to and spend a bit of time is in an area that I find um, very, very interesting. It's an area I've spent uh, zero time, I hope to, in the near future, but it's an area I just find infinitely complex and infinitely fascinating, and that's around the investment space, obviously, and what you do, uh, or part of what you do, I should say, at Accelerprise. Um, I guess sort of my take on it, the way I was, I, I look at it is it's kind of, it's kind of like, to me, it's almost like speed dating. You know, you, you sit down with a whole bunch of uh, different companies. Uh, many of them, uh, you know, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong in any of this, but you know, they don't have a huge amount of market traction. They've got an idea. There's a, you know, a couple of people with founders, maybe an employee too, but it's largely this sort of very nebulous idea. It's, 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 it's an idea. It's a, you know, MVP, it's a bit of a product kind of thing. And I'm, I'm super interested because you, you obviously, uh, when you take on these cohorts, these groups through Accelerprise and you invest in them, we're not talking chump change. And uh, even more importantly, you know, your time, your team's time and the founder's time and finding that right fit. So I suppose I'm, I'm really curious uh, just to kind of drop into this question. How do you go about asking questions, whether of them or yourself or your team, as you start to sift through these companies to find who and what that right fit might be? 
Yeah, so I think um, there's a couple things to mention there before I, I mentioned the identifying right fit. So uh, first is the way Acceleprise works as an accelerator um, is to be fit a little bit different than a lot of accelerators in the ecosystem and that we only do cohorts of about uh, of 10 companies per cohort and we don't do competing inv investments per fund. So, uh, and because our programs are incredibly hands-on as in we're doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with every company that goes through the program, um, and we stay with our companies through the Series A. So, uh, and that can be oh, what, up to about a year or so for, for Series A, or is it sooner oh, or later? Longer than that. It's okay. that <laughs> companies are pre seed. Um, gotcha. Most of them, you know, have raised some friends and family money, but not a lot. So, um, most of them are pre any funding, really. Um, mm -hmm. So, we're, we're really early in most of our companies. We're usually the first kind of traditional investor. Um, and so, looking at that in, in the model perspective, the things that differ are different than the way we do things versus traditional accelerators or traditional accelerators are taking batches of anywhere of, you know, 15, 20, 25 companies um, per batch. Mm -hmm. um, they don't traditionally focus on a, on, you know, a, a, a vertical like we do, which is B2B SaaS. It's more of like a horizontal vertical because um, we're, we're not generic uh, in what we our approach, but um, and because of the small batches, because we don't uh, do competing investments per fund, um, and because we're sticking with the companies for longer and being very hands-on, we have to be super selective in who we work with. Um, and so uh, traditional models have a t will take competing investments and they're betting on multiple horses in a similar market to see who wins. So a YC batch, for example, may have companies in the same space going after the same customers. Mm -hmm. uh, or their previous batch might have those. We don't do that. So um, it's a little bit different in that model. So we really have to be selective in who we choose. And uh, because of that, uh, the way we work through our companies, uh, it's not just it's not just the company and market um, that we're looking at. The founder is really important to us. Um, they also have some values behind uh, who we are as a team, um, which is kind of equal opportunity. Investors, we've traditionally had many more female founders and uh, diverse founders than a lot of VCs have, especially in the B2B SaaS ecosystem. Um, so uh, what we try to do is look for what I say I call X-factor founders mm -hmm. um, because it you can have anything in your background that shows an X factor, um, regardless of where you went to school and your socioeconomic background. So um, we really try and look for those, those qualities. And, um, and how do we vet those companies? You know, you mentioned it kind of being speed dating. Uh, we try and go a little bit slower than that. <laughs> it's not a thing. Um, we spend quite a bit of time um, on our companies and I can talk a little bit about what our mm. process looks like. Um, so, the way we work is um, we have an application process uh, that we open up about six months before our cohort starts. Um, the application process, we filter through the applications. We also have a team that goes and reaches out to companies that are, are of interest. Um, we really care about founder backgrounds. We have markets that we're obviously very interested in and then founders and who are going after those ecosystems. Um, and what we've done is uh, we have a team that sources through the initial opportunity at a surface level. Uh, then I have an associate who will vet the founder and market opportunity. He comes with a technical background, so he's looking at can this founder actually execute technically on building the product and what does the market opportunity look like. Mm -hmm. um, from there, uh, they're introduced to the partner um, 
the partner who looks to de-risk the risk associated with that business. So uh, each of our partners have specialties. Um, uh, Mike, for example, is really great at um, looking at market opportunities. Um, for me specifically, I'm where the market's heading because if you look at technology, it should be riding a wave mm -hmm. um, that's happening in the ecosystem. Like elderly tech is a really uh, interesting trend that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, we have a company in our cohort that's tackling that. It's been amazing. Cannabis is a big one that's going out. Everyone talks about AI, but there's a lot of the big enterprise AI, a lot of it's come out in the ecosystem and it's more kind of secondary and tertiary markets are getting attacked by AI. Um, I say attacked, but are getting tackled is probably a better word. Uh, by AI. Um, and so, uh, and ones that maybe not haven't even been touched by software yet. So it's pretty cool because the AI is kind of, it's leapfrogging um, the traditional SaaS models that have existed in the ecosystem. So we have markets we want to look at. Um, and then the found, the, excuse me, our partners that uh, look at the particular risk profile that company we're trying to de-risk. So, I look uh, pretty heavily at the go-to-market um, side just because of my background mm -hmm. and I'm looking at the business models behind them um, and is there a clear go-to-market? Um, how clear is that particular founder on go-to-market? Um, and so I'm looking at do they understand what that target market looks like? Um, do they have deep domain expertise in it? Um, and then there's three things that I kind of look for in all the founders. It's um, a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. So what insight have they gained based off of their personal experience or their deep dive uh, into customer interviews about the ecosystem um, that tell them there's a market opportunity and a unique approach uh, to the ecosystem that doesn't already exist, uh, ideally. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's unique insight. Uh, it's vision. So what's the long-term vision for where the market's heading and do I agree with that? Um, and how does their go-to-market apply to that vision and what they're looking to build? Um, and are they swinging for the fences is kind of a term that we use in venture. Um, or are they just looking to take a, you know, a small piece of a larger, larger, um, larger cake, basically. Mm -hmm. And then um, the third piece is founder market fit. So, um, what, how does this founder fit into the ecosystem? Um, do they have a network that exists uh, within the ecosystem that'll potentially help them with their go-to-market? Um, uh, how, how well do they know uh, the market opportunity? So um, I'm looking at, does, is this unique insight right? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, how does that apply? How does it apply to the business um, and their experience that they've had? Fantastic. Um, one thing I want to kind of two questions, I suppose, following up from that, but you mentioned that obviously you spend, there's sort of the technical, there's the market sort of side of it. And then obviously the founder side, the perspective swinging for the fences and whatnot. Um, I'm, I'm really curious when, when you're sitting down with these individuals, I would assume to a certain extent that they would have some level of understanding. They, they'd have at least a superficial sort of answer to sort of satisfy your questions. But I'm curious, how do you sort of dig in and try to really dive down into their answers to really make sure that it's a really solid, robust uh, background or well thought out or, you know, well vetted essentially by them. Do you have a process or do you have questions you ask to try to chip away at those layers and try to really find the substance in that, in their answers and in their backgrounds? Um, I, I, for me, it's like anything when I'm trying to understand someone, I try and understand the why. Mm -hmm. um, so even when I'm talking to friends or I'm talking to um, other investors or 
um, founders or anyone really in, in why they're choosing to do what they're doing I, and, and what it is they're doing and you know how they're spending their time. Um, I want to understand the why behind it. Um, what drives people, what motivates people, where their perspectives come from. Um, and that tells you a lot about who someone is and, and how they approach problems. I try, and, I try and understand how people think and approach problems in general um, and how they uh, look at the world. Um, and that'll give you a lot of insight into how someone operates and works. And it's obviously very hard to do in a, in a 45 minute conversation. Um, but, you know, we, we've, we've gotten pretty good at pattern matching because um, we see, see a lot of companies each year. <laughs> Um, and it's, 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 uh, you know, you, you can't know everyone and you can't know everything. And, um, it's not to say we, we want to judge someone that quickly, but there's a lot of things you can learn in, in how someone answers a question, um, and their attitude and how they answer a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to challenge people a lot in, um, their answers and how they approach things and then see how they respond to those challenges when it's going to tell me if the person's coachable. Um, and then number two, it's going to sh- tell me how they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, whether they try, they come at it from a place of curiosity or whether they get defensive or, um, whether they think they know the answer, um, you know, there's different, there's different things that you see in how people respond to questions. Um, especially kind of why oriented questions or questions that challenge someone's frame of frame of thinking. Um, and it tells you whether they have that, that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we, and we all look for and a mindset of curiosity for learning as opposed to defensiveness, mm-hmm. um, and knowing the answers. Gotcha. I, uh, I, I think that's, that's a really important point. I think you touched on, and that's something that I, um, I think is sort of the, the, it's, it's, it's probably one of the more challenging areas when we ask questions because a lot of the time people can come up with an answer, right? Somehow they can come up, produce some words and string it together. But our ability to be able to, to vet that out and try to dismantle that to really try to understand the pieces, the verbal, the nonverbal behavior, communication that comes across from that. And I'm curious, do you have particular questions or more specific strategies that you use in terms of challenging them and trying to really vet out that growth mindset or that curiosity? Any particular sort of uh, strategies or uh, um, questions you might use to try to pull those things out? Um, so some things that that I personally use is I will give people my objections. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I'm meeting with people, I'll let them know what my potential concerns are um, and why, where those concerns are coming from. And then I let them address them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do and you'll see kind of different approaches and how people look at those objection, objections. Some of them um, will just kind of take them as defeat. Um, sometimes people will be like, "Oh, help me understand what you mean by that." They, I haven't heard that one before. Help me understand it. And kind of they'll do the unpacking it. They're like, mm-hmm. "Why do you have that objection?" And they'll unpack it and understand it, and they'll address those points. Um, and ideally, address, address it through experience and what they've learned. Um, some of them will, uh, challenge you and say, I just, I disagree. Um, some of them will think they know where it's coming from, um, instead of understanding it mm-hmm. and that's not actually what you're saying. So, uh, you learn a lot by how people respond to, um, and it's not necessarily even negative, uh, 
negative assumptions. There are things that I don't understand that I want to understand better about their business that are causing me to have potential concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing in any sales process. I mean, in, in reality, the founder is going to, is trying to sell their company to us as, uh, us as investors and we're trying to sell the founder too. Um, and so, uh, understanding where those challenges, like where those challenges are coming from is really important and them understanding where our potential concerns are as an education process back and forth. And it, it needs to be taken that way. It's really important to have that, that working dynamic. And so it tells us a lot about each other yeah. uh, in that conversation. Yeah. And, and, and I think you, again, I think you touched on something that's so critical there that, um, again, is something I really try to try to talk about on the podcast, but a lot of the times, you know, we, if somebody challenges us or they put an idea to us that necessarily doesn't gel well, and I'd imagine with founders, it can be even more challenging because that is, that is their baby. That is everything to them. That can be their whole career and their whole life is we sort of forget sometimes that we all have different packets of knowledge based off of our background skills and experience. And just because maybe, you know, we don't understand something or, you know, we try to challenge somebody. It's not come a place of, you know, uh, trying to piss somebody off, I guess. It's just curiosity. It's, well, let me help you understand that. Or I don't agree with that because of these things, but let's try to, instead of engage that with that sort of initial, you know, I think that natural response is to be like, you know, screw you. Like, what do you know? I've been doing this for a whole life, but just trying to go, okay, hang on. Let's try to put myself in the other person's shoes and try to explore their background. Where are they coming from? And often it can just be, again, a particular idea that's held differently based off of their background, skills and experience. But you need the questions in order to sort of really drill down and and find those, don't you? Yeah. And it's also um, what people need to, what I think just people in general need to understand is relationships are based on a foundation of trust. Mm-hmm. And when um, an investor is willing to share uh, concerns with you about the potential business model, what it is, in, as, is, as is the same if you were dealing with a friend and a friend had something that you had done that upset them um, or that they disagreed with, then communicating it to you, and I'm not saying that that's what the investor is doing, but when they communicate that to you, they're giving you an opportunity to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, and through it. Um, same thing if you had a customer who is giving you a like, here are my concerns. Um, they're being transparent and building that trust with you um, to share that with you because they're trusting you with that information um, so that you can learn um, and they can, they have the opportunity to learn on the other side. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, a, it's, a real, it's an opportunity to actually strengthen the relationship if you can create a dialogue from it. Yeah. Um, it's a non-confrontational dialogue. Um, and I think that those are opportunities that are missed a lot between in conversations in general, um, let alone com- between conversations with founders. Yeah. I'm really curious in your experience uh, doing this uh, over the last couple of years, do you find that startups are when they sit down with you, they're trying to pitch just this very rosy picture, whether they sort of believe it fully or not, or do you find that people are maybe a bit more uh, open and transparent about, you know, hey, there's some good things, but here's some challenges with our business or our founders or the market or anything else that they maybe uh, talk about the risks. Do, do, what do you sort of find when you speak with founders um, as you vet them out? So um, this is something I can say uh, one of our associates, soon to be principal, um, who runs our sourcing side of our business Um he, uh, our head of sourcing, he does a really good job of actually, he's very calm in his demeanor and mm-hmm. incredibly intelligent. Um, and when he approaches companies, he's actually pretty good at building a, a solid foundation when they come in to talk to us. And so when I sit down with founders, um, there's a lot of rapport that's already been built with the mm-hmm. fund 
Um, so I'm pretty lucky from that standpoint, but just having a great team um, because we try and set a cultural baseline um, for when we and how when and how we interact with our founders, um, regardless of whether they're in the accelerator or outside. Um, we try and interact with them in a very trusting dynamic. And so I'm lucky in that that culture has been set. Um, ideally, by the time I sit down with the founder, and one of the things I try and pull back with them is where they have concerns and where they have potential objections and where they think there's a market opportunity, but they're not quite sure, especially because I'm vetting the go-to-market side um, of what they're doing. And ideally with a, with an accelerator like us versus like a, a traditional fund, we're getting into the business with them. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be in it with them. Like we're extensions of their team throughout the program. And so I need to know what those challenges are and have confidence that we can help them tackle them before we're going to be willing to accept them as well. And so yeah. if we're not, if we're hearing this rosy picture and we're hearing uh, everything's perfect and great, I can't get to the meat of the problem and actually move the needle for the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not we're going to have that dynamic and that's not something I'm as interested in. Um, I really want to know how I can help people yeah. uh, and how I can help them grow. Uh, even if it's just as, if it's as leaders, for example, uh, versus in their business, I, I need to pull, be able to pull back those layers with them and build that, that core foundation. Ideally that starts with the first interaction we have with the founders. Yeah, that's a really interesting point as well. And something I find really fascinating because, you know, to a certain extent, they're going to come to you and they're going to, they're going to obviously going to want the money or the spot or that, that particular opportunity. So I could see in those moments where maybe they're not as initially, at least they maybe aren't as willing to sort of talk about the bad things in, 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 in the sense of trying to scare them off. But at the same time, I think whether it be VC or employment or coaching sort of relationship, trying to actually dive down to that and actually what are the challenges is really, I think, one of the most important things. So like you said, you know, if you're bringing somebody in, you want to know sort of those challenges um, in order to address that. How do you solve that? How do you deal with that? How do you invest your time and resources in just solving that, you know, sort of mitigating the weaknesses or working on the weaknesses? Or if you're an employee, you know, my experience is that, you know, everybody has pluses and minuses, but often sort of my gripe with traditional recruitment is that it's a, it really asks about, you know, the whole me as a candidate, I'm trying to tell you all the positive things because I want a job. I want the opportunity. But again, what are the weaknesses? What are those things that we can work on? Can, is the company equipped to help you? Um, or, you know, even coaching personal relationship. Again, it can be, I really want to work with this person. I really want to present them this really positive thing, but it, at the same time, going again, talking about those challenges is, is really hard. It's a, it's a really emotionally confronting thing, isn't it? Well, the, the other thing uh, around that that I think a lot of people miss is that, especially in venture, is, uh, this is it's a long-term relationship. Mm. Uh, ideally with your employers, for example, as well, um, or even your customers. And so uh, it, there really has to be a fit. Um, and so knowing that there's not only a support fit to help with those challenges, but also a cultural fit, yeah. um, support on those challenges is really important. Um, and so being open about where you sit and what you're looking for, um, and where you would need support really sets that foundation. Um, and so I, I think that's a, a very important thing, um, when you're interacting with most people in life, but, um, mm-hmm. I don't think you need like, throw all your, your problems out on the table, but um, when we're looking at a longer term relationship, 
you know, talking about like one of the things you mentioned employers, for example, is talking about where you need support and what you'd be looking for from your management team um, and where you're looking to grow is a really important thing. But the same thing goes for founders is where you need support and what, what you'd be looking for from the teams around you um, and your, your investors and mentors, advisors. Um, is really important. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy you mentioned that. And uh, there's actually a question I want to ask because I was having this conversation with somebody. I just put out a podcast recently talking about vulnerability, about how I think vulnerability is a really important part of asking questions, both to build rapport with that person, but also to really actually have very much, I think, uh, to really help drive a meaningful conversation. But somebody brought up a very valid criticism that it's, it's one thing to be vulnerable, but what is the right way to be vulnerable? Because, you know, you don't necessarily want to sit there on your first meeting with them or your first date or the first job interview to go, here's all the bad stuff. You know, let's just get it right out there. That might be a little bit intimidating or scary and, and fair enough. I mean, I, I can understand that. Do, do you in your experience have... Uh, any recommendations or, or thoughts as to what's the best way to sort of talk about that in a, in a way that doesn't scare people off in a, in a healthy, productive way? Yeah. So, uh, Brene Brown talks about this There's a great Ted talk. If people want to listen a little bit about vulnerability, but, uh, for me specifically, I like to take it from a place of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so come at it from a place of curiosity versus here are all my problems. So uh, talk about here's one of the challenges I've been having. I'm curious, how would you approach that? Um, I noticed that you have had success in these areas. Uh, we've been looking at this because we've encountered this, this challenge. I'm curious, what, what, how do you think about that? And what would mm. your, um, again, what would your approach be? Um, and then can you help me understand where that comes from and why you do it that way? Cause you need to understand someone's model of thinking about it because the model is the process and the, the approach is how they is the tactical. So it's the, the strategy and the tactics. And so, uh, coming at it from that place because you're, you're being vulnerable and that you're coming at it from a place of curiosity and you want to learn, um, and you're sharing what your challenge has been, but it's not, it's not a place of, um, complaint or I mm. like, I'm not good at this thing. A lot of, a lot of vulnerability people think comes from a self, a place of weakness and it actually comes from a place of strength because you're willing to share it and looking for support. Yeah. Um, if you, if it's a complaint or, um, displaced accountability, um, that's where things, things don't come across the way I think people want them to. Um, when you take accountability and try and learn from where your challenges are and where your gaps of knowledge may be, you have a lot more opportunity to grow um, and allow people to invest in you as a person. Yeah. And I'm really happy you said that again. I think one of the, one of the theories that I find most inspiring about being able to ask questions is this, is this, this, this chance to find people who have solved maybe the problems we're having or have unique perspectives on how we can solve these challenges, how we can improve our life, whatever it might be, business, health, relationship, whatever it might be. But a huge critical part of that is how, what's the best way to be vulnerable? Because you need to, you, I mean, you know, if you just sit down with somebody and have a, hey, everything's great and everything's great and, you know, everything's fantastic. It's, I mean, there's only going to be a certain level of depth I think we can get to, but that sort of that, that, that accountability, that, that vulnerability through that, again, non-complaint, I think is really important. And that curiosity to be able to say, hey, you know, help, you know, how can I do this? Or, you know, like those exact wordings you just said to be able to actually help us as the question askers solve these problems and, and move the needle of our lives. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I'm really curious, just keeping an eye on time as well too, and maybe taking a step back from sort of some of the things we've talked about. This might You might have already kind of gone through this, but I want to kind of ask it again. In your experience dealing with people across your career, are there certain um, questions that people ask or don't ask that you see them that leads them to, to certain failure, whether it be in, in business or that sort of mentor or anything like that? Are there certain questions you see that common mistakes people make? Um, so I'm not going to point to other people. I'll actually point to common mistakes I've made in my career. Um, cause I think that's probably better than, than pointing at other people and saying they made a mistake. They may or may not agree, um, with those mistakes, but, uh, things that I've done, um, personally is I've, uh, made assumptions, mm-hmm. um, about where someone else is coming from instead of taking the time to learn. Um, or I've made assumptions that someone wasn't willing to do something instead of asking for the opportunity. I did that much earlier in my career. Um, there's a lot of concept around putting in your dues, Mm -hmm. um, uh, early in my career. And what really launched my career was, uh, when I made the choice to go out on my own and start my consultancy and really start to own what I knew. Um, and there was a lot of confrontation, personal confrontation and kind of imposter syndrome that came along with that. Um, when, everyone around me in the market was telling me otherwise um, because I was actually able to solve a lot of people's problems just in the customer interviews I did um, before I launched the the consultancy. And that's where my initial client base came from was just helping people um, when I was doing customer interviews. And so there was, uh, for me, it was, it was really taking, not taking the time um, to unpack things with other people and assuming, uh, Assuming sometimes it was positive things, sometimes it was negative things. Um, so I would assume someone was doing better than they were. Um, and when I when I actually took the time to learn, I learned actually I could, I could probably help them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, assume people knew you think more things than I did. Uh, I mean those are those are things. Um, when uh, you know some of the things I'm talking about, I'm I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> yeah. Where. Uh, I was defensive early in my career. I came at things with an ego instead of um, instead of removing that and really learning from what someone was sharing with me and why they were sharing it, um, because and not taking it as an investment mm-hmm. uh, in me. Um, what are some other things? Uh, not building a support system around you. Um, so one of the things that, uh, again, was really beneficial to me um, that I probably didn't build until my mid-20s, um, I did have, obviously, I've had mentors throughout my career, and I've been really lucky for that, was uh, a support system around me that really pushed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had friends who I had a really good time with, um, and I really enjoyed their company. But in my later 20s, I met a group of people who uh, since then have just, you know, Everything, everything when I make an assumption that is a mental block, one of my friends will almost always call me out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, where now I can, um, I can see when I have an, my own pattern of thought that's blocking me from moving mm-hmm. forward. And so I, surrounding yourself with people who do that for you is really important. Um, and I didn't realize how important it was. Um, 
learning. Another big thing that was a learning for me uh, personally was uh, learning my optimal modes. Um, what I mean by that is I used to put myself in networking events quite a bit um, and realize that I might have come across in ways that weren't optimal for me. Mm-hmm. I am much better when I interact with people one-on-one or in small groups. And so I avoid large group situations. Um, I spend more time finding individual events where I can connect with someone one-on-one. Um, and I get really socially, I get so socially exhausted very quickly. And so making sure I'm structuring my week in a way so I'm optimizing my time that I'm spending um, for my productivity because uh, shifting things around for me and my schedule has actually increased my productivity tenfold. So uh, really understanding and taking the time to understand yourself and how you work because, um, you know, we're our own kind of machines. Um, yeah. And if you take some time to self-reflect on, on how your mind works and how your energy works um, on a day-to-day basis and optimizing your schedule around that, you'll be surprised uh, how much more effective your time becomes. And those are things, again, I didn't do probably until my thirties. And so, uh, and I, I I still continue to tinker with it. Um, But I think it's a, it's a really important thing to do um, just in your own self-awareness. Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. And that's been a, bit, a massive learning for myself as well. I think I spent a lot of my a lot of my 20s trying to look at other other models and trying to cram that into my brain to go, I need to be like that. Um, and what I've done over the last couple of years that's been really well is to actually sort of self-reflect on why I am the way I am, to experiment, to try different things, to find what works and what doesn't work, and trying to, I can't, there's a, there's a term for it, I can't remember, but it's basically, it's kind of like treating yourself as a subject and running experiments on that. So, you know, like you said, in certain social groups, you do, you do better in those smaller groups. Um, and that's fantastic, because I think maybe, uh, maybe a common narrative is get big networking events and just as many people as possible kind of thing, instead of saying, now, what, where am I ideal? Where am I optimal? Why that? Why is it like that? And then try to find things that sort of fit that to to try to you know uh, uh, push on your push on or leverage your strengths and not necessarily having to obviously deal with all those weaknesses all the time, which is can be exhausting, really. Yeah, and it's not necessarily weaknesses either. It's it's mm. the way you operate. It's just, yeah. just everyone yeah. yeah has their own system of operation, and the more you can take time to understand it, the better you can be. Um, And that's kind of those assumptions come in as we make assumptions, not only about other people, but we make assumptions about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, You're absolutely absolutely right too. So I should, I should, I should have, I I shouldn't have said that they're weaknesses because they're not. It's just, it's just the way we are. It's not, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just the way it is essentially. It's it's what we do that I think that matters. Yeah. I I just, I try and say, I don't like to say weaknesses just because it's, there are a lot of people um, use those things to put themselves down. I don't, uh, I don't think that's, actually effective for anyone it's more important just to give yourself a framework of operating and um and learning from from what what is optimal for you yeah absolutely 100 percent i'm really curious on that um is there one question that you that served you really well personally maybe something you ask you know something you a particular question you go back to to reflect on daily weekly monthly yearly any particular question you come back to that served you well um so in pretty much most things we do at work, um, 
and that didn't, that either performed really well or didn't perform as I expected. Um, or in anything, actually, we try when there was a system that got executed. Um, we like to look at what worked, what didn't, what do we need more of? Mm-hmm. Um, and then reflect, see, try and break it down into components. Uh, and then kind of ask questions around, or not kind of, um, but ask questions around each of those components. So I wouldn't say it's, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's one question. It's more of a f- mindset of, it's that growth mindset mm-hmm. uh, where nothing is ever perfect. Um, there's always ways to improve. Um, and then it's prioritizing those improvements, right? So uh, if something's, sometimes things are good enough. You know, there's a, um, there's a great, podcast uh, by the founder of Basecamp on um, the Knowledge Project, just to kind of give a shout out to Shane Parrott, who's amazing. Um, that's uh, the art of doing, of, of doing, uh, doing enough. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you need to push and sometimes you don't. Um, sometimes the, the not pushing is a, is a blocker for you and towards something you want. But other times, you know what? It, it, it's not something that needs to keep being improved. Like you, it's, it's okay as is. And so taking the time to, once you've looked at the system and the things that worked and things didn't, uh, that didn't and what you want to, what, what you want more of, how do you then approach, approach that and prioritize it mm-hmm. and tackle it, um, as an individual or group? Yeah, that, that, I think that's just a wonderful sort of operating system for life, isn't it? I can think of just infinite number of things. And I'm, I'm reading the essentialism right now, and it, it sort of echoes a lot of that, that there's always 20 things we can do to, to improve, but it's, I think it's just trying to be more clear about what needs to improve and uh, prioritizing and focusing on that for, for sort of Pareto's yeah. principle, 80-20 and all that. It's, it's, um, it's about being thoughtful about what's really going to move the needle in the direction you're looking for it to go. Cause sometimes it may be one thing um, that if you tweak the approach or the language or um, even the pace in which you move around certain things, it'll actually move things forward quite a bit. And so just, just taking some frame, like taking a step back and looking at that in a systematic way can be really helpful. Yeah, couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't agree more. I suppose just keeping on time, Whitney, I know you've got a uh, probably a very busy day ahead of you. I know there's a bird in the midnight oil. Just for people listening, um, how can they reach out and, and uh, touch base and stay in contact with all the things that you're doing? Yeah, so uh, our website is Excelaprise.vc. My email ad- address is Whitney, like Mount Whitney, um, at Excelaprise.vc. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, the sales method, which is my methodology and framework I use. Um, it's still very in the early, very much in the early stage, but there will be a book coming in the not too distant future. Um, and then uh, I also, you can also add me on LinkedIn. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Say hello. Um, always happy to chat, chat, answer your sales questions. Um, if you're looking for the accelerator, I'll probably connect you with my team. Um, and hopefully I'll get to talk to you down the line. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll make sure I include all the, the links to that in the in the show notes as well, too, so people can check it out. You'll have to let me know when your book comes out as well, too, in the uh, in the in the near future. So I can uh, make sure I check that out. Again, this is an area that I'm, I, I wish we had a lot more time. I'd love to pick your brain on so many other things. But on that, Whitney, I just want to thank you very much again for your time and uh, and the opportunity to pick your brain about all the things we talked about today. So thank you very much. Hey everyone, thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. Just remember, if you want to join in on the conversation, make sure you jump over to the social media handles. You're going to find us at Better Questions, Better Life on Facebook, Instagram, BQBL underscore on the Twitter. Of course, you can make sure you jump into the hashtag BQBL. Of course, you can check out our website at BetterQuestionsBetterLife.co. And I obviously, I want to take a quick minute again and thank our sponsor, YZ. Make sure you get started with your own 14-day free trial at yz.com. That's W-Y-Z-E-D.com. With that being said, speak to you next time.